Join me, if you will, in the Gospel of John, and at the end of chapter 2, picking up where we left off. I'm going to be preaching two sermons today. Not two messages, two sermons. One message with two types of people. The problem with preaching on being born again inevitably means that some people who are born again will begin to question, am I born again? And they may begin to doubt, and it may cause them no lack of affliction, no lack of pain in their lives to be questioning, am I saved? Am I truly reborn? But then you have the other group who have come to church their whole lives or just come and going through the motions. And they are doing it because they have to be a good person. They think that coming to church saves them or something. And they attend and they have been basically uh, lured into a false sense of comfort and hope. And if you don't preach the new birth properly, they will continue to sleep through the message. So how do you preach to both types of people in one message? Well, I will tell you, prayer. Lots and lots of prayer. Because I don't want to cause you undue doubt and confusion and pain to fall asleep and sleep through what does it mean to be born again because you must be born again that is the message that jesus proclaimed on his life during his life here on earth and that's the the apostles continue to preach that and went out into the whole world and that's what we are to preach today the subject of the new birth means that we must be born again so let us look at what it means to be born again. If you say, a born-again Christian, what do you think people are considering? Well, for one thing, it's redundant. A born-again Christian really means a Christian Christian. Because to be born again means you are a Christian. In order to be a Christian, you must be born again. So you have to be a Christian who is born again. There's no born-again not-Christian. There's no not-born-again Christian because, or non-Christian. It's kind of confusing. There is one thing. You have to be born again. To be a Christian means you are regenerated. That means that God has done a work in your heart and transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That means you are born anew. And so, when you hear the word born again Christian, it really is kind of redundant. Because nothing compares to it. You know, in our culture today, many have co-opted the language. And they say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a born again Christian. I go to church. But that doesn't make you... Christian. They call themselves born again because they think that's the thing to do. Have you ever noticed that some of these uh, these polls that people do and they ask you questions, if it's a blind poll, typically you get more accurate answers than if it's like a face-to-face -face poll because they're going to answer according to what they think you want to hear. So when you are asked, are you a born again Christian? Many people thinking that that's what they want, you want them to say, will say, yes, I'm a born again Christian. So the language has been co-opted. But when you think about birth, you think about a natural, or let's think about a natural birth. It's a miracle, isn't it? When you had your children or you watch your children be born, it is a miracle. It's a, a little child that has been conceived in the womb, knitted together for nine months, give or take a few, and then coming out. And it's a miracle. It's, a, it's an act of God to see a child born into the world. And Jesus uses the same miraculous language here in our text. The language of new birth. 
to describe the spiritual reality. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 2, starting in verse 23. While he was in Jerusalem, he is in Jesus. During the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one who has ascended, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, this topic of new birth is, is vital. Vital for us as Christians. Vital for us to know. Vital for us to share with others. As we, we teach others, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be born again? Lord, as I approach this text, I am humbled by the mystery and the majesty. There's so much in here that I am not equipped to preach on, to teach on, to even speak about, because it is such a glorious, miraculous truth. Father, I pray that this message would bear a small testimony to your glory, that I would hide behind your cross and that you would shine forth. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. So, Father, I pray that Christ is magnified in this message. Father, as we pray these things, I ask that the people of this congregation would have their hearts open, that they would hear your word and that they would indeed be born again. And if there's someone here who is born again already and, and he hears this message, they, they would be encouraged. They would become bolder in their proclamation of their faith in you. Father, if there's someone here that has not been born again, that you would convict their hearts, that you would cut them to the quick, that they would realize that they have been living a lie and that they need to be born again. Father, I pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. So we see John moving from the temple cleansing to this topic of new birth. And we have this guy, this guy Nicodemus. And Ryan and I jokingly, jokingly call this Nick at night, right? Because Nicodemus comes at nighttime to Jesus. And it's very such an odd perspective. And so many people have tried to allegorize and make this sound like, well, Nicodemus was in the dark, so he came in the night because that's where he loved and, and evil loves darkness and, and all that. Well, in reality, he probably did 
wanted to hide a little bit because he was embarrassed that he was coming to this man, this Jesus. And so we move from the temple discussion, the cleansing of the temple, which was already kind of a, a shocking event. And now we're going into this topic, this discussion with the religious leaders of the day. And John is unpacking to us what does it mean to be born again? What is salvation in the heart of man? So he explains it to us in this passage. He says that you must be spiritually born into something new, something different. And the question that we have before us is, are you born again? Are you truly born again? Many of you in this room have the fruit of being born again. Many of you are showing signs of new life. But there may be some in this room who are showing no signs of new life, who may be dead in their trespasses. I want you to listen carefully to what our passage means when it says you must be born again. What does it really mean to be a Christian? If you are already born again, you know how to show people how to be born again, right? If you are alive, you should be able to show other people how to be alive, right? How not to die. If you are dead, you can't show anybody anything except how to be dead. So we as Christians must show other people how to be saved. And this is the thing, we have to understand how this works, because otherwise we get caught up into all sorts of silliness, all sorts of silly ways of getting people converted, right? We put on clown shows in our worship services. We go and we, we talk um, in a whiny voice to try to manipulate emotions, or we play the gentle tingling of the ivories as people are moved to have an experience. Man, the youth groups and the youth revivals, Man, they're good at this, aren't they? They put on some, some bumping music. They get the kids all hyped up, give them a bunch of sugar, have an emotional high, and then crash them down a bit, and then bring them back up again and bring them down. And then they say, do you really love your mother? And everybody's like, of course I love my mother. Do you love Jesus? Of course I love Jesus. The next thing you know, you're walking aisles and putting your name on the back of a card, and you're saved. And then the rest of their life, they live as, as a bunch of heathens because they've been emotionally manipulated into believing that they're saved. And so we see this happen in our culture today, and, and we do this in church too, right? We use manipulative language. Do you want fire insurance? Do you want to be burned up in hell forever? Say this prayer, you'll be saved. Right? We, we manipulate people into the kingdom of heaven, and it does no good for eternity. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the necessity of new birth for eternal life. So next week, we're going to see really what man's responsibility is in all this. But this week, I just want to talk about new birth. What is regeneration is the fancy technical term that people like to use when they talk about being made new in Christ Jesus, the, the life of God in the soul of man, as the Puritans called it. So new birth is a supernatural, miraculous act of God in us. And you may want to write this down because this is kind of the theme of the message. New birth is a supernatural, miraculous act of God in us that is irresistible and unmanipulated. So, new birth is a supernatural. That's number one. It's miraculous because it's an act of God in us. And third, it is irresistible and unmanipulated. What happens in our heart is irresistible and unmanipulated. No scheme of Satan can stop us from being born again. And I'm not talking about how this happens today, 
because that's it's a little technical. But I am talking about what happens to us. The first thing we see is that we must have a need to be born again. You must see your need. Verse 23 says, while he was in Jerusalem, Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem. He had got angry in the temple and cast out the money changers and the money lenders and pushed out all these animals. And then he goes and has the Passover festival. And it says here in the end of verse 23, many believed in his name. Man, that sounds like a good Bible-believing revival going on. Many believed in his name. That's what Jesus wants, right? That's what John's whole gospel message is. However, something odd happens. He says, because or when they saw the signs he was doing. They believed in Jesus because they saw. So already we have a, a juxtaposition. We have John bringing some foreshadowing. Something ain't right here. Because verse 24 goes on. and says, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them. And if you, if you, if you were to read this in the original language, entrust himself is the same word as believed. So you would read something like, many had faith in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not have faith, him, have faith himself to them. So they could not trust him. Or we could change the word and say, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not trust himself to them. It's interesting. There's a something going on here. What is it? Since he knew them all, because, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There's something's wrong with their faith. Something's wrong with their belief. But guess what? John doesn't want to tell us right away, does he? He wants to string us along a little bit. What is going on in this passage? Why does some people believe in Jesus, yet Jesus does not let them believe in him, does not entrust himself to them? This is a good question. This is a question we should all have. Is my faith true saving faith or is it not saving faith? The reason they didn't believe was because they saw the signs. They, they loved Jesus because what he could give them. He was healing people. He was breaking bread and, and making the loaves and the, and the fish expand into numerous numbers. They, they began to follow him in chapter 6. And as they follow him in chapter 6, Jesus says to this, But there are some among you, who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Not everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus is truly a follower of Jesus. Even in Jesus' time, Judas, a disciple of Jesus, followed him around learning everything yet showed himself to not be saved. But we don't know why yet, do we? We are left to wonder. One passing note as we talk about this, God, Jesus shows himself to be God in this passage. Who is the only one that knows the heart of man? Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? The next verse says, praise be to the Lord God, who can understand it. So God understands the heart. And here, Jesus himself understands the heart. Only God understands the heart. Jesus is God. That's what John wants you to understand as you study. 
So then we have this really interesting movement in this passage. If you are a literary critic, you would notice something pretty cool with John, that he has made a good transition. Look at the end of verse 25. For he himself knew what was in man. And then read verse 1 of chapter 3. There was a man. Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. There was a man. His name was Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. So let's look at this Pharisee, this ruler of the Jews. He says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you do unless God were with him. Man, that sounds pretty complimentary. If I was Jesus, I'd be like nodding my head, probably a little happy that this ruler of the Jews recognizes a little bit about what's going on. But Jesus doesn't respond like, oh man, good job, Nick. You did a great job. I'm proud of you. Good job, Nicodemus. No, what does he say? You must be born again. Truly, I say to you, you must be born again. So let's look at Nicodemus. First off, he's a Pharisee. What is a Pharisee? He is one of the most conservative religious sects of the time. He is a Bible believer. He believes in what the Torah and the law and the prophets teach. He wants to follow it to a T. He is a conservative religious leader. This is a good thing at the time of Israel. They believed the Bible. They wanted to honor God and they were going to live their lives as strictly as possible. He is the, the, the best example of a conservative leader that we can conceive of at the time. But not only that, it says he is a ruler of the Jews. That means he's part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a 70-man court that made the religious decisions in the life of Israel. They would decide the finer points of the law, the jots and the tittles. They would make sure that whatever particular aspect of the law was complicated or they weren't sure exactly what to do, they would go to the Supreme Court and they would talk to them and they would make a decision. Our Supreme Court has made a lot of interesting decisions. That is kind of who you would anticipate. He is um, a justice on the Supreme Court of the Jewish uh, leadership. So not only is he a Pharisee, he's conservative, right? That's a good thing. Um, when you talk about the Bible, he believed every word. He said, this is, a, this is a word from the Lord. He not only was that, he was a religious ruler. He was part of the Sanhedrin. But he was also cultured and highly educated. His name, Nicodemus, is a Greek name, which is a little unusual, but not too unusual. His parents, likely understanding the importance of Greek culture, named him Nicodemus. Um, in order for him to be what he is, he had to have be of Jewish descent, but he had a Greek name. His parents wisely decided that this was important, so they gave him a Greek name, and that would mean that likely he would be educated and all the Greek um, understandings and techniques of the time. So he was cultured. He was, he was trained in Yale or Harvard, right? So he is not only mo the most conservative, he's also on the Supreme Court, and he's also highly educated in a Greek context. But not only that, he's also a scholar, a teacher. He would be quoted. If there was a discussion about Scripture and you wanted to make your argument, you would say, according to Nicodemus, this passage means this. He would be quoted. It says he's a teacher of Israel in verse 10. So this guy comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, 
you're missing the point, Nicodemus. You have missed the kingdom of God. So if that man, with all his credentials, doesn't make the cut, what makes you and I think that we could make the cut, us uncultured Americans as we are? How can we possibly ever make the cut to the kingdom of God? If we can't follow the law perfectly, if we are not a Jew of Jews, if we don't have the Pharisee credentials, if we don't have the, we're not a ruler of a Jewish Sanhedrin, we're not highly cultured or educated, and we are not scholars like this man, years of his life spent studying the Torah and the Scriptures. If that is not us, then how do we get saved? How can we make it? Jesus replies, Truly, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. It doesn't matter that you're a Pharisee. It doesn't matter that you are of the Sanhedrin. It doesn't matter that you have culture. It doesn't matter that you are a student. You will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, he is telling him something important. He is emphasizing an important truth. And he is speaking um, as God in many ways when we see that it's a, an emphasis on the veracity of what he is saying. And he says, this is what new birth is. It is supernatural. It is a miraculous act of God in us that is irresistible and unmanipulated. So the first thing we see in verses 3 through 4 is that it is supernatural. That means it is not natural. It's not like being born. It's being born from above. Verse 3 says, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This word born again is interesting. Your translation may say born from above or have a note saying born from above because the word again is also used as from, um, as from above. And we see that in verse 31 of this same chapter. Same word. Who, the one who comes from above is above all. That word above is also the same word here used as again. So you can use it for both, above or again. So you must be born again or you must be born from above. Really, the difference isn't that great because it is a supernatural thing. To be born from above means you are born from God. To be born again means that you are born from God. There's no way that you can naturally be born again. That doesn't make any sense. In fact, Nicodemus misses the point. Look at verse 4. He almost is in sarcasm. I can almost hear him dripping with a little bit of disdain as he talks to Jesus. And he says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Do I shrivel myself up and climb back up in my mother's womb? I mean, that's essentially what he's saying to Jesus. How can anyone be born again? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? I mean, he's, he's essentially kind of mocking maybe a little bit or a little sarcasm here. And he misses the point. Not because he's too dense, but because he's too smart. He's smart in earthly things. Because Jesus says, no, this is a miracle. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, or and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he elaborates even more. He says, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
To be born again means that there's a miracle of God working inside of us. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the deep. He has to create in us something new because we are dead. It's a work of the Spirit. The Spirit is the, 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 the person of the deity, the third person of the Godhead who is doing this regenerative work in you. In fact, he even calls Nicodemus out. It says, Nicodemus, you know this. You should know this. I am only giving you Old Testament examples of New Testament thoughts. He says in verse 10, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. Nicodemus should know. Why does Nicodemus need to know this? Because this miracle demonstrates God's lordship. Look at Ezekiel. Well, I'm going to read you Ezekiel because I don't want you to be flipping back and forth a lot. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Jot it down so you can go and look at it later. It says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Does that sound a lot like this washing? And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. This is God speaking. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. It is a renovation of the heart. It is a work of heart. You are being born again. God has taken the heart of stone when you were dead in your trespasses and giving you a heart of flesh. He places his spirit within you. Titus chapter 3 says it like this. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done. Right, The Pharisees were righteous, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. All those songs that we were singing just a little bit ago about being washed in the blood and being cleansed and being made white as snow, this is what it's describing. This is the regeneration of our souls. Our hearts are being made new. We are being unified to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that causes our hearts to be washed and renewed, giving us a new birth. You know, that's why we confess that God the Father sent the Son. God the Son purchased salvation through His blood, and God the Spirit applies that salvation to our hearts. It's a Trinitarian work. It is a three-in-one operation. It is important to our salvation. And then we go to verse 6. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. And you may notice that Spirit is capital in some places and lowercase in the others. When John is writing with the Spirit and it's capitalized, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And when you see a lowercase, it's talking about your spirit, your internal being, uh, the, the entire self on the inside, the non-physical of you. And so verse 6 says, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed. He's probably seeing the look on Nicodemus's face. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again or born from above. And then he goes on and talks about the wind. Have you ever thought that was weird in this passage? It's a little strange. It says, the wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What's interesting about this word for wind, in the Hebrew you have the word for wind as ruach. But it's also the same word for the Spirit. And in the New Testament we have pneuma, which is the same word for breath. 
or wind. And also the same word for spirit. Isn't that interesting, the connection here? It's not an accident. So what John is saying, and Jesus is saying, um, John's recording, just like you cannot control the direction of the wind, you can't resist the wind, so too the new birth cannot be controlled. It cannot be bottled up and offered to people to be bought and sold. You cannot put it into a bag and then hand it to someone and give it to them as a gift. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. It is untamable. It is irresistible. It doesn't come into being and then disappear like our emotions do. It's a consistent fountain of life within us. That's not to say that we don't have ups and downs in our Christian walk. But what I'm saying is that the course of your life shows new life. Now, I've heard of a great evangelist who would go door to door. Good on him, right? It's especially hard in today's society where no one wants to answer the door. And with COVID, it's even more fun. But he goes door to door. And what he would do is he would have a copy of, the Lord, of, a, of a prayer, the sinner's prayer. I'm sure you've heard of it. And he would knock on the door. Someone would answer. He would hand them the card and say, read this. And they would read that out loud. He said, read it out loud. And once they read it, he would be like, gotcha, you're saved. And then he would go to the next person. And that's how he saved all these people. He made them read a prayer and said they were saved. And that was his way of saving people. Or the manipulative practices of evangelism. You know, I was at this one church. And we had an evangelist come, and he basically went down a list of all the ways to respond. So the first, of course, was like, if you're not saved, raise your hand and come forward to the altar. And then he went on and said, well, if you've been living a life of sin, come forward to the altar. If you um, this, and if you that, and then he just kept adding the list. And finally, it was, it was almost like, if you love your mother and the kitchen sink, come on down. Right? And it was just everything under the bus until everybody came forward. And what got me was there was an 80-year-old man in our, in our congregation. He was one of the deacons. He was the groundskeeper. And this man was at church every time the door was open. He served every possible way he could. He was constantly working at the congregation. He was, of anything, the biggest servant I've ever seen. And when the man, the evangelist, said, Do you want to be used by God in a mighty way? Come on down. This 80-year-old guy got up, pushed himself forward, and came forward. And later, the evangelist was bragging about all that God had done in the congregation. And I said, no, it hasn't done that. It's just revealed what God has already done in these men's lives. Like, you have not done anything by manipulating people to come forward. And so what he was trying to do was trying to manipulate the process of the Spirit bringing new life into the heart of people. And so it was disgusting kind of makes me sick a little bit when I see people trying to manipulate the work of the Spirit. So I really love the illustration of birth used here because it really shows us that it is the work of God in the soul of a man. No one in here played a role in their birth. You didn't choose your skin color, your geographical or political uh, location. You really had no part in it, did you? In fact, you didn't even tell your parents that you wanted to be born or not to be born. It just happened. New birth is the same way as John tells us earlier. In First John, uh, or sorry, in John chapter one, in verse thirteen, he says, "Who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, 
or of the will of man, but of God. Let that sink in a minute. It is a work of God, not of man. That means that all the religion, all the ceremony, all the rituals, all the sacraments, all the being of a good person, all your efforts is useless in coming to saving faith in Christ Jesus. It is good. We could do what Nicodemus did. We could be the Pharisee of Pharisees, get on the Sanhedrin, become cultured, drink fancy wines or whatever it is that cultured people do, go to the opera. We could be something big, but we have to be humble. The work of God means that it humbles us. It is a new creation in us, as 2 Corinthians tells us. You know, this should kill any legalism in your heart. Any legalism that makes you think that you can just try harder, do more, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that you can just earn God's approval for your action. This should kill that inside of you. John chapter 6, 63 says, The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But yet Nicodemus still doesn't seem to get it. He still misses the point. Verse 9, how can these things be? How does this happen? What is this? Who are you, this Jesus? Nicodemus asks. And Jesus turns to him and says, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is clear. You don't get it, Nicodemus, because you are not born again. You don't get it because you are not born again. Jesus shows him that you are not able to move from earthly representations, right? The whole birth concept derailed Nicodemus' mind. The whole wind thing put him off guard. He didn't understand what was going on. He said, the problem is that you are blind. You are spiritually blind, Nicodemus. The problem is you do not believe in a saving way. You, don't, you are not saved because you are not believing in a saving way. Jesus explains that his role is to reveal the nature of God. Jesus says, I have come from heaven to show you who God is because I am God, but I'm the image of God. I represent God. I'm the glory of God. All the depictions of who Jesus is. He said, this is me. You got to get this. John chapter 1, 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We observe his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the glory of God revealed that can only be apprehended by spiritual eyes. Now we may say, you know what? I like going to church because sometimes if I get in the bind, the church will pay my electric bill. Or I like going to church because, man, they got some cool people in there. That pastor is handsome with that beard and everything, right? I'm just kidding. That's not what happens. We know. Don't worry. I know that doesn't happen. But what happens is we see that people come to church for the benefits. People come to Christ for the benefits. I feel good. I feel happy. This makes me better. What have you. I'm a better person. Or I got good business connections when I come to church. The reality is if you're coming to the church for those reasons, you're missing Jesus. You're not believing in a saving way. If you come 
to church, if you come to Christ because of Christ, because of who He is, what He has done through His death and sacrifice, that's where true belief is. It's not in what can I do and get out of this. Jesus pointedly tells Nicodemus that He is God. He is the one who came from heaven to take away the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God slain for us. And next week we're going to go into how this happened. What is our responsibility in the process of this new birth? Where do we get involved in this? How does it happen? How do we receive it? All that stuff. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But this week we are just talking about the regeneration of your heart. How does your heart become changed? The conclusion we have is that new birth is a supernatural miraculous act of God in us that is irresistible and unmanipulated. There's no scheme of hell or activity of man that can stop the new birth in you. I think the statement, you must be born again, is appropriate to turn into a question. Are you born again? Are you born again? Do not pass this question by. Are you born again? Are you coming to Christ because of Christ? Or are you coming to Christ because of the benefits? As our culture begins to become much more hostile to Christianity, we're going to have to start counting the cost. The benefits are going to start to be less, and the uh, difficulties are going to start to be more. In Canada right now, they have a, a new law, and the law has passed, and they have banned something called conversion therapy conversion from trying to convert people from becoming homosexuals. If there's a homosexual that comes to you as a pastor or as a counselor and wants help, you are going to be fined $1,000 in Canada to try to help them, right? The conversion therapy itself, I think, is not a good therapy, but the way they worded it, they worded it in such a way that it is hostile to Christianity. So now, if you are dealing with human sexuality in any form in Canada, you can be fined $1,000 and you can be uh, put in prison, put in jail for these acts. Not only that, but in Indiana, a similar bill is being pushed through the city council. And there's churches there that are fighting against it and saying, we're, we're not going to pay the fine and we're going to continue to do what we do. We're going to tell people about Jesus Christ and whether or not that is acceptable to our culture. So the question is, if we are born again, we're happy to, to count that cost. Because we know that we have new life in Christ. It doesn't matter. But if you don't have new life in Christ, that should scare you. Because the benefits of being a Christian are going away. Our culture does not think of a Christian as a good person. Our culture does not think of a Christian as something to be emulated. In fact, you are intolerant. You are unkind. You are exclusive. Or you're pushing people out. You're not inclusive. And so our culture today is going to change how Christianity is viewed. The phrase born again is almost meaningless today, which is kind of concerning in our culture. But the question that you have to answer today is has God done new birth to your heart? Are you born again? Do you remember a time in your life when you were dead to the things of God? You had no interest in God's word, you are not or were not interested in being more like Christ. Yet, God did His work in you, and now you are interested in God's Word. You seek after Him. You want to know Him. You hunger and thirst to be like Christ. If you seek after Him, 
like a newborn baby hungers for pure milk? Do you thirst after the living God? If you do, you're likely born again. If you don't, you probably aren't. If you are dead inside, you're not born again. If God has done this work in you, you will see the fruit of it. You'll see the fruit of a changed life. I like how someone said that being uh, made new in Christ is like getting run over by a bus. You don't leave unchanged, right? You have been changed, altered unmistakably. Something has happened inside of you. Now, you don't change your life to be saved. You're saved and your life changes. The order is very important in our Christian walk. What do we do? If you are not born again, we, you cry out to the Lord. Cry out to Him. Ask Him to give you this new birth. Ask Him to give you a, a new spirit within you. You don't have to pray a formula or a prayer that is specifically lined out. God promises to us that anyone who comes to Him by faith, He will not cast out. That is a promise of our Lord and Savior. This is the imperishable hope we have in Christ. Let's finish in prayer. Father, as we close out this message about new birth, I pray that you would give us boldness, boldness with our identity in you. Our identity is not wrapped up in our job, how cool we are, how good we look, how smart we are, how religious we are. Our identity is found in new life in you, that we have been unified with Christ through this new birth. Father, this should lead us to greater boldness. Boldness in proclaiming the gospel to our neighbors. Boldness to uh, being involved in the lives of those around us. Father, when our kids rebel, when our uh, job and our bosses become difficult, we can look up to you in heaven and, and rejoice because we know that our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. Our joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. Our hope is in the imperishable promises of God that we have laid up for us an imperishable inheritance, a hope that does not disappoint. Father, I pray that those in this congregation who might be hurting, whether it be from illness, whether it be from difficult family situations, whether it be from uh, bad news that they have received about their, their parents um, in, in the hospital with COVID or any of the, the medical emergencies that come up, who Christ is in our lives, and we would share that with those around us, that we would Encourage people to be born again, to be born from above, not from our own earthly, fleshly will, but through the Spirit and the power of our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in, in God's name and um, in the name of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.